0: Uh, but there's also very archaic rules. There's a lot of things that haven't moved with the with society. Uh, here we are two years past that, three years past that, and they're still trying to figure out what to do with that.
1: My name is Demetri, and I'm a productivity and systems enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and self-development enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets business. And what it means to build better systems. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this you are not on our private subscriber feed and you will only be hearing a portion of this episode if you'd like to listen to the full length episode you'll need to go to riseproductive.com membership or sign up on your favorite podcasting app for exclusive access from there you'll also get access to our exclusive newsletter the weekly pour over our private members only discord community and any other subscriber only content so if you enjoy what we are doing here please consider becoming a member Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 143 of the Rise Productive Podcast. My name is Dimitri, and here I am with JB and the doctor. Funny enough, I met one of these gentlemen because I sell templates on the internet, and he basically showed me how my onboarding was not as good as I thought it was, and my template was broken. So that was a fun situation for me. How y'all doing? Good, Dimitri. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having us. For sure. For nice, sure. To, nice to see you again. Um, so we, funny enough, had a uh, side conversation about like what I was doing outside of the templates and it prompted the conversation to come up about the fact that uh, you had a podcast along with with your friend here. And I'd love to get a little bit uh, for the listeners to get a little bit of insight of what both of you do, how the podcast started and your backstory. I just started JB all right so we are
2: JB and the doctor that's our business name as well as our initials I always joke around that my initials are more important than the the doctor side <laughs> of things but nobody really believes me on that one Dimitri uh, we're, we're high performance coaches and consultants we really work with service-based professionals and entrepreneurs we help them master their time sales and confidence we have a heavy emphasis on soft skill development when we say soft skills we mean people skills so things like awareness not just self-awareness, but awareness of how other people perceive you, confidence, uh, emotional intelligence, and EQ, uh, things along that nature, active listening, it's a big emphasis for us. So we do a lot of one-on-one coaching and a lot of corporate work and workshops with people. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think the thing that makes us stand out is that we
0: are two very unique individuals. Uh, JB comes from a long line of uh, Fortune 50 people
2: himself. Yeah. A long line. Just me. I, oh, just him. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's just, just me. Yeah. My background, former fortune 50 sales exec uh, for over nice. a decade uh, before leaving the corporate world and, and and joining forces with the doc over here. The funny part for me is his uh, actually family's in the, in the medical
0: field. So most of them are all medical based and he's the outlier there. So that's why you got me. Oh, I
1: love it. That's awesome. And then what made you, both prompt to leave your, uh, specific fields. I think it'll be interesting for the audience because, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with my show, but essentially the whole goal behind this is leveraging productivity to build an online business sort of thing. And, uh, I definitely want to hear, I always like hearing how people make trying to make businesses in in the new world is a different, it's, it's a different landscape than it was even five, 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, well, I'll 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 kick off here, uh, and I'll I'll speak on my end. You know, the corporate world is a funny thing because people consider the corporate world very safe. But I was in that type of role where uh, I I was an external sales role. I was independent. I had a hundred thousand plus dollar budget a year to manage, along with just driving sales. I saw my boss twice a year at national conferences and divisionals. Right, so I was basically a franchise player. That's a way to think of it. Mm. And uh, the funny thing about the corporate world is a uh, ton of accountability, ton of responsibility, and not a lot of, not a lot of leash, right? So if you're not going to get done, you're gone. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, it's not nearly as safe as people credit it with, right? So you you have this idea that, Hey, I'm corporate, I'm, I'm employed, I, I don't have as much risk as uh, somebody self-employed. I don't really buy that as true Yeah, at times, sure. you might, but, yeah. but at times, at times you don't. So I had a chance, I, I had golden handcuffs essentially for a long time, but, but I had a chance to leave, my industry, which is financial services, uh, and step back. and, And I knew without a doubt that I wanted to get out from that corporate world where I had less control. That just did not speak to me. And uh, I, I can tell you, I appreciate your comments just because when we did come together and start to think about business and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to help people, a large part of our decision making to, to zero in on productivity like yourself was working with other professionals that didn't have the type of training that I had on my end or that the docs mm-hmm. had on his end. Uh, because we saw major gaps, man, just just huge opportunities for people to get better where they just they didn't have that training.
1: Yeah, that's got to be difficult. Uh, there, there was really a big uh, emphasis, I feel like, in culture recently, especially with COVID. There was like this weird discussion about productivity that came up. It became this buzzword that still hasn't quite been, uh, I feel like, properly understood by a lot of people. I feel like it's it's a almost a meaningless buzzword at this point. Like most buzzwords at this point. Oh, it's yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, there, there are so many different times i've heard the word productivity thrown around uh, and i think when i worked at i started working at a recent job because this isn't my full-time thing yet uh the coworkers started using the term more because they saw what i had done on the side and it was just it was interesting for me to just be like oh yeah 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 definitely productivity like i'm like do you do to you have a conversation about it you just gonna throw that buzzword around sort of thing the, the the irony is, I, I mean, Demetri, when you look at it economically,
2: you know, from a financial perspective, the last year was the least productive year in like the history since we've been gauging productivity as a country. So no. even though it's a big buzzword, it's not it's not really happening. People are more distracted than they've ever been before, and they're less productive. Well, I think. Exactly
0: yeah like a lot of them believe that hustle culture right and that's that's actually being productive when it's really just spinning your wheels most of the times i think productivity really should be efficiency with a lot of these things um how to you kind of going to go hand in hand otherwise it's really not productivity if you're yeah. not actually getting things done
1: yeah i guess i i'd like to ask like furthering that uh point you just made how are you to uh, sort of Using, utilizing that frame of mind and that definition of productivity in uh, helping the people you work with, because that is not often the definition that it is uh, prescribed. I, I personally am aware of a lot of people who love Gary V as much as I love Gary V. Homie uh, acts like working sixteen-hour days is a sustainable and b actual work. Uh, <laughs>
0: I'm curious. It's great if you, I mean, if you have 16 people around you doing all the work for you, it's really easy to keep that schedule <laughs> up. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have those people running around me, so I have to do it myself. So 16 hours sucks. So I guess I'll lead into a little bit of my backstory because that can make some sense too. Yep. Um, so I'm a doctor of psychology. And uh, prior to that world, I was in the hospitality world, uh, running restaurants, nightclub, and the like for uh, a few decades, but I'm not that old, so we won't say that. Um so I had that shift of I was doing those 80 hour work weeks working for other people. Right. You know, so it was either that doesn't last for so for so long. It lasted as long as it could. Yeah. And it was either. Okay. So I go off and get my doctorate or open my own restaurant. I figured both will cost the same amount of money. So I might as well go do something I always wanted to try. I could always fall back. Um, and through my years in the hospitality world, I really studied a lot of behaviors, which is my expertise in this area. So behavior and mindset is what I bring to the team. I'm the why to JB's how and a lot of this stuff. Oh. Uh, so that is really how I think we go back to answering some of your question, right, is you can do a lot of those hours. And that's all it is in a lot of these, especially in corporate world, is filling space. Make sure you're there. But what do we know about people in the corporate world most of the time? They're spending time on social media. They're doing everything else but work most of the time because they're burnt out from, from other stuff. So they're figuring out ways to do it. And the solution is just, oh, give them more hours, make them work harder, make them do more things as opposed to maybe scale back, give them some time to kind of adjust and, and feel good. And refresh and take those breaks and then they can come actually be productive in that um so they don't have to sneak into social media they can do it scheduled right so coming up with the, the right idea of what actual productivity means in each business in each person is is different from the general definition of productivity if that answers any question I don't
1: no know it does I'm- yeah i like that a lot there is even a lot of times when people come to me for uh, notion consulting or general productivity consulting, cause I make videos on the internet it makes you an expert. Uh, there is a fair amount of, uh, questions regarding, uh, the best productivity hacks or best productivity principles. And I do find that it is definitely a realm where you need to personalize it, uh, pretty heavily. And something I'm trying to get more into with my own uh, templates and whatnot is having a more niche down target audience, because at least it would uh, help a group of people. I came to the realization a couple of weeks ago that I make a lot of content. I'm very good at making a lot of content. I posted daily on YouTube for a year and I've posted three podcasts a week for two years now. And I, it's like, it's like, I should probably just target people who want to learn how to make content efficiently. Cause I know how to, do, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's something I'm good at. And I'm curious, what do you guys specialize in and who do you necessarily work with most uh, in your business?
2: That's a good question. And we get asked that all the time and directed quite a bit from people, even that, that we consider mentors to, to zero in on, on a niche, but you say niche and a lot of people think industry. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and to us, it's not about industry. I, I mean, I could say we we certainly work with entrepreneurs and service-based professionals. We have a heavy emphasis on financial services because that happens to be my background. We also work with accountants and uh, attorneys pretty often, but we don't really consider our industry as a niche so much as where people are in their careers and what they're trying mm. to accomplish. So for us, it's more about being at an inflection point. Uh, we don't, for example, focus heavily on systems. So when you talk about motion, sure. for example, you're talking all system work. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the times when we're working with people, we kind of go in, especially individuals, with the understanding that you've already got your systems in place. You're pretty tight there, you've got that locked in, and you're you're good there. You're trying to work on yourself. You're kind of you're 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 at the margins at this point trying to incrementally make yourself better because you've got the rest of the business running. And that's that's kind of who we work with. So for us, it's more people have either hit a plateau or they recognize that one's coming up and they don't want to stop. And so they say, Hey, I need to emphasize myself. Now I've got the rest of my business locked in. That's our niche.
1: I like, I like the clarification there. Uh, there's a fair amount of, uh, clarity that that brings because niche often really is only used in the context of, Mm -hmm. of, of an industry. So I'm curious then, uh, it's funny referring to you as the doc makes me feel like I'm watching doctor who. Um, (laughs) But uh, doc, what, what then do you uh, feel like psychologically you bring to the table in those kind of conversations to help people move past uh, those inflection points? I think that's the big selling point,
0: right? Is the actual behavioral experience behind this. Um, A lot of us know how to do it, right? We can read a book, pick up that book and, Oh, if I just do this, but we still don't do it. So we actually have to, what we say, and I think goes to what your point is earlier, is one size doesn't fit all. We know that people are individuals, and just reading any kind of book is going to give you some tools, but hmm. they're not gospel, right? So if you read one book, that doesn't mean if you try to implement everything there, it's going to work for you. It probably won't. It's going to work for that person who did it. Um, and you can take a look at JB and I. We have very different schedules on how we do things, very different strengths. He's a early riser working out every day at like 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. Um I'm more of productive in the evening. You know, so we, if we tried to do each other's schedule, it wouldn't work. So it's really trying to make that fit for you. And another big buzzword that gets used a lot these days is mindset, right? Um, uh, yeah. I don't like the traditional sense of mindset, but it's just catchy so people understand it. But really what it is, is getting that perspective of where you stand and how to beat your own roadblocks and knock them down. And that's really specific to the individual. And I think that's where we draw our strength on how we work with people is that we can use the technical stuff, but we can also use those very individualized skills to break through those patterns. That's where I come in handy.
1: Okay. And then for the two of you, uh, obviously, I think this could be a good opportunity to ask the question for the audience who would be thinking it then in your own lives, how did you break through that inflection point of, leaving what you were doing, for example, uh, JB in your fortune 50 situation, and then doc you as well. Like everyone's going to have that inflection point. I even am getting close to the, to that point, maybe personally, you know, every month it comes more and more in the back of someone's head when they do something as often as, as one does online when they make content. So I'm curious how you both ended up making that leap and then realized, Hey, like this is, the very thing that I'd like to teach people to to get through.
2: I mean, to run with it. He said you right. first. I followed. sheets. Right. Okay. But <laughs> so whatever you say, man. Uh, we're both good at it. See. So, so it's interesting because Dimitri, I think I can really, I can really feel for people with this one because I was not ahead of the game on this. If anything, I was one of those people that was way behind. On on making the decision uh, to leave the corporate world, I was so complacent and I was so comfortable and I was so bored and I was that way for like a few years, uh, and it and so I just kind of you, you grow or you shrink, right? I was stagnating, and it took me a really long time to re- come to that realization and recognize, hey, I'm I'm past the point of having should should have had left, I, I'm well beyond the point. So for for me. I, this is a very personal thing, you know, fi- helping people yeah. at that inflection point. Because I probably I gave up a couple years of what could have been an incredible experience. Because since leaving the corporate world, I've just I've just opened my eyes to a whole new world of opportunity and business and and personal development that I I was not experiencing in my past career. Uh, it was the same thing day in day out, over and over again, and I could do it with my eyes closed essentially. I I mean there's just nothing there fulfillment wise, satisfaction-wise. Uh, so from my perspective, I, I have real life personal experience in in being a little afraid, I think, to take that take sure. that jump. Uh, and so I, I think I'm really just able to help empathize alongside people who are working through that and, and trying to figure out, hey, you know, do I need to make a change? Right. And what are what are kind of the the flags I should be looking for, the red flags that, that suggest it's time. It's time to do something different or to focus in on myself.
1: Love that. So
0: I already gave you a little background on why I got out of the hospitality world, um, but I'm actually still an acting, practicing psychologist, right? So I have a private practice where I still treat people in that, in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you'll learn about me, my favorite saying is more than one thing can be true at any given moment. And I think that same thing perceives in business, right? Where I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. I like to keep things going. Um, And I was really thinking about how can I help more people? I think in the, if you know anything about the psychology world and anything that any licensed therapist, there's a lot of handcuffs that we have on us. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of, for good reason, a lot of ethical stuff that's there. Uh, But there's also very archaic rules. There's a lot of things that haven't moved with the, with society. Yeah. Um, and you can see it in the pandemic when people were trying to figure out you know how to do online therapy and actually I was doing it for years prior but then we had to put rules into it and they didn't know what to do because no one, no one ever thought about that but we were doing it for years before that even happened um, so that's what I mean and they still don't really have those things figured out here we are two years past that three years past that and they're still trying to figure out what to do with that so I was like how do I really help more people and you know and also on the other side how do we go more vertical right for business because in therapy, you're trading time for hours and I can only see so many people a week without burning out myself. So how do I be most effective for them and also help more people? And that's kind of where I came with thought with the, with the coaching ideas that I can branch out. We can help corporate teams. We can go out and help more and more people. And I can do it with someone that's bringing in aspects that I can't deliver. So we don't try to, I know stay in my lane, you know, so he can stay in his lane and we can still be more effective with, with people than most. Um, So that was really how I looked at it was, Oh, Um, and sure it's scary like there's you know you have to give But there's always a trade-off so you you know you're trading off some especially in the beginning of our business a lot of time that you have to kind of put in to build um, maybe take a little less patience or work a little later nights Uh, so there was trade-offs and there's still trade-offs but it's just what you're willing to do and not everyone does it the same that's why it's one size doesn't fit all so you got to kind of just find out what you are willing to trade off to do what you want to do and you can do both you don't have to make big decisions right away. You can dip your toes into things.
1: I like that a lot. I think there is a definite trend in people. I am uh, twenty five for reference, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people my age who work under the assumption that once they know this is what they want to do, they should just like jump into it when they aren't necessarily able uh, to do so. and when they jump all the way in, then maybe they aren't able to to make that next leap. And there are multiple different reasons why maybe somebody wouldn't take that next leap, it's because they are thinking about it from the financial side of things, but then they do it for too long. And I am, uh, I very much like hearing the fact that you uh, are able to recognize the fact that you are trading your time for money and you're not necessarily able to increase that leverage. Like in theory, you can start working with higher profile clients, but like you're still trading your time for money. Like maybe you do it for five clients a week instead of ten. I'm not quite sure the amount you meet with. So you did that, right? And then you're working with higher profile clients. So you're making the same amount of money in less time, but there's still like a certain point where you know it's uh it's still not as high leverage as reaching large quantities of people on uh, on online. And I'm I'm curious what both of your thoughts are on the change that has occurred in the last ten to fifteen years. We've never really had mass availability of. Uh, leverage for people to build uh, businesses. Uh, unlike any other time in history, like the leverage is very high opportunity wise and the cost is very low. I'm curious, both of your thoughts on that. I love it. I I mean, that's
2: that's one of the things that I just find so cool about where we're at today in the world is there is an opportunity today that exists that never existed in the past. And people can take advantage of it in ways that they never could, Uh, even to the extent of uh, just being able to outsource in a way that we could never have in the past. I mean, you look at the ability to hire somebody on Fiverr or or work with somebody in the Philippines, you know, as virtual assistant, um, which we have on our end. That's that's the model we use. We have multiple VAs out, out of country that allows us to really double up on. We're triple up on what we can get done. Uh, I love it. I think there's some danger in in the leverage today that a lot of people don't recognize, especially with tech. And we talk about this quite a bit. Uh, It's just as likely to distract and take away from you as it is to add. Uh, And we find that people probably are either ignoring the resources out there and kind of blind to it, or they're over-adopting. And they're trying to add more and more and more to their tech stack or whatever it is, and it ends up taking away more than it helps. So it's a great time, but it's it's really you gotta. It's a fine line and a balance you've got to take in your approach to be able to leverage effectively right now.
0: I also think it's amazing the access that we have to people now, right? So now these people that have extreme talents and are really good at stuff, see, especially in the music world, and st- now they're not being held back because they didn't meet the right label. They have an opportunity to kind of put themselves out there and do really well. But there's the flip side to that because more than one thing is true is you have to be a better consumer. You have to pay attention to who you are consuming because there's a lot of people out there that don't have any experience that are just touting things that they made up or read or, you know, maybe experienced themselves, but they're not you. So it might actually cause you more damage. Um, so you really have to pay attention to who you're working with and, you know, whose resources that you're using. Like even, you know, for example, we can use you example, Dimitri is, you know, selling your Notion platform. There's millions of people that do those things, maybe not millions, but there's a lot of them out there. And I went through a bunch of them uh, looking and, but I had to do my due diligence to see who's going to follow up. When I needed something, who can I reach out to? And there's that there's still a risk, but you're taking a more calculated risk. If you do a little bit of due diligence and as someone who comes from a word that is heavily licensed and there's a lot of life coaches out there that do a lot of damage to people, which is where I can speak to this really good ones out there too, but there's a lot of ones that that do a lot of damage. Um, just be very careful on who you're getting that assistance from or who you're working with, especially when it comes to something that's a little bit even more personal to you.
1: That's a great point. Uh, There are so many people right now who are, uh, they get lumped into the fake guru category because of their ability to be very good salesmen. And then they sell a dream. And rather than selling the dream through free content, they end up selling uh, using free content to then sell a very high ticket course without any technical guarantees, but they're, they use all the Psychological and marketing hacks to get people to buy a 770, 979 course, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Um, I'm very much a fan, though, of the way that uh, it sort of reached me. I, I know that the world of self-help was, was around. It's always been around. It's been around, uh, you know, like the Tony Robbins of the world uh, prior, the Jim Rohns of the world. But the, the mass access for people to get uh, like a first touch point with something that could maybe wake them up from the corporate world situation as it were with you, uh, JP, like uh, for me, it woke me up when I was in college and realized like, I was just not happy. Like the, for me, uh, there's like a minimalism movement. I'm sure you both are familiar with or have heard of. Uh, I only wear gray and black shirts because YouTube like didn't tell me to necessarily, but I watched enough things and was like, I don't like dressing. This is dumb. I'm very colorblind. I can't, do my own wardrobe without asking, like, I'm going to just get gray shirts. And, uh, that's why I really appreciate the leverage and the opportunity there. How are you both, uh, utilizing it right now? Are you mainly posting on the podcast platform? Are you posting anywhere else right now? We're on, we're on a lot of social media, Dimitri. Yeah. Uh, our, our core
2: content creation really comes from our podcast first, Uh, it it allows us to interview guests. Uh, It it allows us to really kind of design the messaging that we want to get out there. Uh, So we started heavy on Facebook and Instagram, but we've learned over time that really our marketplace is LinkedIn professionals more so than, than anywhere else. So we put a pretty big emphasis on LinkedIn, but uh, you can probably find our presence just about everywhere. That's part of the reason we have a team and it's not necessarily because we're trying to develop an audience everywhere. But I think Gary V said this years ago, I think it was something like along the lines of the butterfly effect. You got to kind of, you got to touch everything. Right. So if somebody's not consuming on Instagram, maybe they are consuming on TikTok or Twitter or they are consuming on LinkedIn. Um, But you want to be able to be found across all platforms for people. So we do try to hold to that. uh, But we we tailor most of our material to to work well in the LinkedIn platform or Instagram. Okay, that's and of course, our YouTube channel that we're in the middle of an
0: orbit right now, just trying that out to see how it goes. But this whole short thing is so weird. So I don't know if it's messing with
1: it. Yeah, so going back to what you guys were talking about earlier with uh, the distractions as well and the uh, that sort of issue that comes with this ridiculous amount of content that's being posted. I actually have this life philosophy that if... Well, it's not a life philosophy. It's kind of a joke. Uh, if Cal Newport isn't doing it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Have you guys ever read any of his stuff? No, I haven't. Right. Cal Newport is the guy who wrote Deep Work uh, He and Digital Minimalism. And he has a philosophy around the fact that there's like marginal utility for you know this thing i'm holding my phone up for the audience and if you're able to use just the positives of this thing your life utility goes up and he's just working he's like my opinion is however cal Newport says that we're at like a 51% it's a good thing 49% it's a bad thing and like our our marginal utility went up by 1% but no one wants to admit it and i'm like yep facts i think it's a fairly accurate statement and i'm curious how maybe you've worked with uh, different clients in the past or even in your own circumstances to um, mitigate the distractions and utilize the, uh, this, this thing for good slash, you know, just the internet in general. Yeah. there. I, I mean, there's a number of techniques that
2: people can use and it's not necessarily reinventing the wheel. It's just kind of understanding that. And, and Dre, Dre knows this really well. Uh, a lot of the tech, a lot of the utility on the phone is designed to distract you. It's designed to take and keep your attention and bring you back to it over and over and over again. And if you allow it to, to kind of kind of default to that, that's what's going to happen. Uh, so there's simple things you can do. You know, using focus is, is a really effective way to control that. Um, turning off notifications in general from apps and only turning them on when you need them is another one. Uh, limiting the apps that you use, right? And not just going app crazy, which everybody seems to want to do. Uh, you don't need a lot of apps on your phone, in my opinion. Oh. I, I, everything's got a website too. So, you know, you could just be a little bit more deliberate about having to use something and that'll probably reduce the amount of use you have on it anyways. All those are really good options, but the the best thing most people could do is probably, in my opinion, just just purge and get rid of anything and everything except the bare minimum. And then from there, kind of grow from it. And that's no different than, you know, when you look at diets like Whole30. I don't know if you've run across that. But Whole30 is basically like, let's cut everything out except absolute essentials. Let's see what works well with you and what doesn't. And then mm-hmm. you add, you know, and you add. And that that allows you to kind of get a feel for whether or not it, it it works for you or it doesn't and allows you to make those decisions. So, something like that can work really well for people.
0: So, my add-on to that is because we're one size does not fit all. Um, and- you really do have to learn yourself, right? So... If you're someone who's so addicted to it and you tried to do that cold turkey thing, you're probably not going to make it, right? You're just... its Agreed, yeah. You need to scale down a little bit. Some people can do it. Some people quit smoking without thinking about it. And some people have to do a gradual chew the gum, right? So so we do these different strategies because one size doesn't fit all. So if that is someone like yourself who can't stop or so then start scheduling some in, right? So if you know that you need... Five minute, If you need some in Instagram throughout the hour, then, then you schedule it in. Like You give yourself a five-minute break every hour to just scroll for a little bit. Set a timer, and then when it goes off, then you stop. Um, or you might need to use one of those apps that make you stop if you have hard time yeah. stopping on your own, right? But you have to learn what your things are, and it's going to be trial and error because we don't know until we try it what's going to work for us. So we try different things, and we see which strategy starts to work. It could be something like the Whole30. It could be where we just take one thing off.
1: It's really crazy to me that Rice Productive is almost at its three-year anniversary. Over the years, we've shared with you so much free content on how to improve your efficiencies, operations, and intentionality across multiple content platforms. Between the podcast, newsletter, and YouTube channel, we try to give you as much free value as possible. All that we ask in return for all this free knowledge sharing is that you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform so that more entrepreneurs and those seeking more efficiency in their lives can find our content. These podcast reviews increase our rankings and help us reach more people who just like you just want to get more efficient. Thanks in advance. And now let's get back to the show.
0: And just scale down there. from on it for six hours a day try to get down to five hours and 45 minutes to start and then start to work down. So you really have to know yourself. Are you better at cold turkey or are you better at scaling down? And you might not be able to do it yourself. You might have to get some help or an accountability buddy or something like that too. And those there's reasons why they're there.
1: It's a very good point. I think progress is progress if it is consistent and moving it down even from six hours to five hours and 59 minutes, if you do that for the entire year, still ends up working out to the to the end result and as much as i am like a pretty hardcore like go 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 i just was always so surprised when people would see these like very high volume producers or someone who's able to go cold turkey and they work under the assumption that's exactly what they have to do and what they can do and it's it's definitely definitely hard because when i deal with people in uh, notion consulting and or just like productivity coaching they'll coming to me with these questions, like I said earlier, of like, what is the right way? How do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know if you're going to talk to the right guy. Cause like JB, I get up early too. I've been getting up at like four 30 for three years now. And I tell people that and they're like, yeah, it's no, it's not for me. And I always hit them with the, it might be actually, but I'm not going to say it is. Cause you like just haven't given it at any time at all. So I'm not saying it, it isn't, I'm just saying it probably, it probably, it probably isn't, um, <laughs> to be honest for most people. But I think putting that on the table doesn't hurt to expose others to
0: yeah, give things a try you can experiment i mean every day is an experiment if we think about it that way so why not just try different things and try them again right it doesn't mean like i tried it once for five seconds i know it doesn't work i say the same thing with food your taste changed over time you might not <laughs> like mushrooms when you're younger you might like them when you're older but if you don't try and taste it again you don't know
1: um, that's funny i have a recurring joke with uh someone in my life about like people who don't like mushrooms are basically just all children, just like who haven't grown up yet. You know, it's just like that thing. Like, and then you have like that one sibling who just like still doesn't eat mushrooms. You're like, yeah, like how mature is that one? (laughs) It's it's a pretty, it's a pretty accurate marker, which which I really like. Um, But enough about mushrooms. I, uh, we could also talk about microdosing too. Um, But uh, there is uh, a lot of different people though, who, who really, really struggle with making that first step towards coming to the realization that maybe they're not happy with what they're doing or they're at an inflection point in general. Do you work at all with people on helping them con- come to the original understanding that, you know, they are at one because they might be coming to you and not realize like how much they need to like the, I know you mentioned the red flags earlier, JB. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh,
2: it's, difficult a lot of times to, to do so yeah you know, finding where somebody is in the journey is is not always a difficult yeah. thing to do but recognizing that people are going to be in different places on the journey is a whole nother story yeah uh, so a lot of times you know I I don't think it's an unknown for people yeah okay. you know, right? Like, right like like to me I, I think most of us know whether we like to admit it to ourselves or not when we're ready for something uh, it's 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 more about finding the courage to take that step or being willing to, to step into that discomfort or the unknown that that's a lot more difficult. You talked about salespeople earlier. Uh, I don't know that you can ever really sell somebody on, on doing that. They need to, they need to work themselves to that point. You can provide perspective and give them a different way to look at things that, and, and a lot of times perspective will shift where people stand on something. Uh, And and there's a lot of psychology behind that, right? If you take somebody who has an opinion on, on say the death penalty and you put an argument in front of them, well, you come back to them a week later, they're actually going to lean more towards that argument, whether they they know it or not, right? They're gonna, you know, unconsciously lean towards that. So you can you can kind of start to adjust people, but it's not like you can wave a magic wand here, Dimitri, and, and just get somebody to 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 take that step. They need to be ready to do it. What you can do, and I think what you probably do really well with the with the work you do is you can put the content out there that helps to start frame it a little bit differently. So people are able to kind of take those little steps themselves. And then when they're at that point. You know, hopefully they know that you're somebody that can help them and, and they come to you or they open up the door for you to have a conversation about it.
0: We're all just a bunch of tools.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. They could be used in a lot of different ways, uh, especially for me. Uh, so there's a definite, definitely a trend that I see in, in a lot of the content I produce. Uh, there's a couple different videos and titles that I have, like as recurring themes where I have a series that, people don't know is a series where i'll make a video and the title will be named the app hyphen notion killer question mark and i recently only got a couple comments about it saying like like are you clickbaiting me like i don't know how many times you've put this i'm like it's a primer like y'all need to get over the fact that like notion isn't the best app of all time and like because it might die like i have to prime you guys somehow like you can't all be like sheep in this sense and they're confused because i'm a notion consultant like yeah but i don't want you guys to like use what you don't actually want You know what I mean? I think it's better for the the, the community. Um, So yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of different ways. I do feel that people uh, could get helped to be primed in situations where they're at that inflection point. They, I mean, even for me, I don't know how much I admit to myself I'm at an inflection point or not. So uh, target target market might be right here.
0: Well, even with your example, right, this is where I go back to the more than one thing could be true. So it could be a good primer to say, hey, there's other things out there. We want you to prepare you. But it also could reinforce those people that when they watch that video going, nope, see, I like notions better. And then they get that reinforcement. So again, it goes back to their perspective of how they're looking at it when they go into it. Are they open-minded to some other ideas or they want to just be convinced that they're right? And, you know, you can convince both ways on that without even trying.
1: Have you ever been put in a situation with people you've worked with where uh, they end up, I mean, everyone's had difficult clients, I guess. Right. But they, they are really hard to, to sort of get to that other side. And I'd love to hear maybe some anecdotes from (laughs) one of those, one of those circumstances. It's like every client, every client. Okay. All right.
0: None none that I ever work with that are listening.
2: Right. (laughs) It's, Especially when you're working with behavior, Dimitri, I, I mean, you are really you're working against a lot of momentum, possibly a lifetime of the momentum. momentum. Yeah. I, I, I mean, when you talk about the defaults people fall into, you know, whether or not they even realize it. And, and I'll tell you, we'll have conversations with people where they'll, they'll say one thing at the beginning of the conversation and then we'll, we'll kind of use that as a premise throughout the conversation. And, and 30 minutes later, they're arguing with us about what they told us. Uh, because they're getting Ouch. so defensive about the, the behavioral change. And that's actually a lot more common than you might expect. Because, yeah, you know, part of, part of our role, you know, I, at least I view part of our role is to kind of call people on the bullshit. Let's call you on the sure. BS, right? Let, let we're objective and you brought us in for a reason to give you that objective view of what's going on and to work on this stuff. But it's amazing. Even when people bring you in to work on something, a lot of times they really still don't want to work on it. And, and so, anecdotally, I, I mean, we see it all the time. Yeah, uh, a lot of it's chipping away, right? You, it, it's like Doc said, like going cold turkey on something. Making a one eighty degree turn is just not that realistic for people. You can cold turkey cigarettes, right? You're you're looking at a guy that did it. Um, I, I mean, it's totally doable, uh, but it's not going to work for everybody, right? And I have a certain type of personality where I got no problem waking up at four thirty a.m. I like it. Uh, it's good. I got to work out. I got to do this and that, but you get somebody like Dre where it'll just, it's just not going to happen, but he can also go till 1am this morning. And I'm like, I'm done in like 45 minutes, you know? (laughs) So, so the one doesn't work chipping away is a big part of it. We, we try to, we try to get people to identify. And then once you've identified and you recognize, uh, then it start to find ways and facilitate ways that somebody can find for themselves that will help them start to change. And that, that's a, That's a big part of the role is just facilitating them coming to awareness around what will work for them. That's a little
0: bit of the differences in my two worlds too, right? In the coaching world, I can be a little bit more direct um, and and call them out on their BS. Um, But in the therapy world, it's really about getting them there. So I use that same strategy Uh, a lot in coaching, right? So I can tell you all day what to do and you're going to tell me I'm right all day. But I don't need to be right. I already know I'm right. That's why I'm telling you, right? But until (laughs) you start to believe that it's right, then it's, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. I know I should do that. I should know I should do that. That's not them believing it. And that's not them instilling it. So it's really getting them to believe it for themselves. And a lot of times that's them having to get there on their own, even though they think they're aware of it. They're not always aware of it. So it's that process of having to break that down. That gets difficult because you have to have a lot of patience. Uh, and that's part of probably the hardest part for people that are going through a change or the people that are trying to affect change is not realizing how much patience involved because like JB was saying, we're not, these habits and behaviors didn't pop up overnight. These are things usually that have been ingrained for a long time. And the way our brain works, it wants to go on autopilot. It doesn't want to do any work and it doesn't know good from bad. It just knows whatever we do over and over again. So if it's used to doing something, it's very resistant to change because then it has to do more work and it doesn't want to do work. It's got enough stuff to do.
1: Uh, but I'm sure it, it feels very gratifying. I'm cur- curious what both of your experiences have been, like once people sort of get to the other side of where they want to be, just sort of, sort of how wonderful that that sort of end side of it is because we all, I mean, I feel like every job has to deal with a bad client in some sort of sense, whether it's their boss or their, uh, I mean, that I've had, Notion clients I preferred not to work with halfway through the project. Like it's, it's, I think everyone just has to deal with it in some sense. I'm curious though, where you guys find that uh, really good feeling about finishing uh, or getting people to start moving in the right direction.
2: I, f- I find a lot of times the the end results uh, that you get and are proud of, whether you're the coach or or the person who's working through something, are not always what you set out believing that you want the results to be. So, so from my perspective, it's it's finding kind of that that truth and helping somebody get to that truth behind what really was important to them and what really was going to uh, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use you know another buzzword transformation. Um, but you, you can see people shift, right. And you can, you, you we use evolve. I, I mean, we, you, you see people grow and change, uh, and it, it's pretty apparent the effect that you can have in people's lives and not, nothing is more gratifying than hearing from somebody, you know, and, and, and getting that. And And there's a lot of fulfillment in that, uh, you know, Doc and I talk about this all the time. I I I prefer doing group work and workshops and and you know one and done's a lot of the time because mm-hmm. it, it is so personally consuming to work with people one-on-one sometimes and carry them through that journey. It's it's just a lot. Uh, and so there's great satisfaction when you can help somebody do it successfully, but there's a whole lot of frustration that can go with it too. So so we tend to be pretty Pretty careful, I'd say, and selective about who we actually work with, because we don't want to go through the misery of working with the wrong person. And trust me, it is is misery, man, when you're working with the wrong person. It's bad. I think the piece that
0: I find and I think is probably a lesson for most people that it's a hard one. um, Sometimes you're not the right person. And. That means, it doesn't mean you give up on the person you're working with right away, right? But if you put in some good effort and their reasoning they're not making it, it's not because effort on their part, which sometimes happens, right? If you can see they're not putting in the effort, then you can do what you can do. Um, but if they're putting in effort, just maybe you're not a right match and it's okay. And sometimes you have to refer out and send them. see that a lot in our therapy world. Good therapists will refer to the right person if they're not the right person. It's not a doesn't mean they don't have skills. It doesn't mean they're they're not good at what they do. They just don't match for that person. That person needs someone that more matches them. And the thing, same in the coaching world, same in the notion world, same in any of those worlds. If you're not a good fit, then help move that person move on to the good fit. And don't be afraid of that. And then sometimes it also means maybe having to fire people, right? If someone's really, if you're putting, you know, all this effort on your end to somebody and they're just not willing to do anything and it's actually causing you stress and bringing you down... And detrimental to you, you gotta just let them know, hey, we're not working together anymore. And again, maybe give a referral to if you need to, or it, gives it, it might be a hard truth for them. But you have to also, it's okay to do that, right? It's okay to, put your, to make sure that you're protecting yourself and your well-being as well. Uh, I know we get that scarcity mindset if, oh, I can't do that because I need the money, I got to do it. Now, if you work with the people you want to work with and you're really enjoying it, they'll get more out of it, and you'll get more out of it, and you'll get more people that will work with you. So don't be afraid to to cut your losses on some of those people that really just don't belong.
1: I really like that last part that you put about the uh, the whole thought process people seem to have, especially with the scared city mindset with with money. I know you still have your practice, but for for JB, your sake, you're full on doing. This correct? No, no.
2: I run another business as well, so, it's, okay. so I'm still in the financial services industry, but I'm I'm, I'm pretty much independent in that world. Uh, so it it's hard to walk away completely from a business you've been doing for for nearly 20 years, uh, and I haven't felt a need to. So I I do split time between both, uh, and I probably always will. Uh, I I don't need to self-identify in just one role. I I think I I can do more than one thing and be more than one thing. And I think a lot of us can. Uh, And so I'm also a a very specialized loan officer uh, with a heavy emphasis on retirement age individuals. And I work very closely with financial advisors in that role.
1: Okay. Okay. But it's still um, your, if I'm I'm not incorrect, it's still a business that you run, right? It's still... So, so in, in the loan world, I, I work with a private lender. So they deal with
2: the compliance and the processing and have the background, but I run my own business. So, so I essentially, I, I, I bring in all my own business. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any, you know, salary. Uh, I make my own budgeting decisions, so on and so forth. I run my own branch. Uh, I carry my own licenses, so on and so forth. So it's, it's kind of a hybrid role, I suppose. Some of the processes and compliance I don't have to deal with.
1: I'm familiar a little bit with that. I have someone close to me that works as a uh, certified financial planner, but they work under a uh, umbrella. So they don't necessarily have to deal with the, uh, the overhead, the insurance, like all that kind of stuff. So he's uh, definitely grateful for that side of it. Cause there is some of that stuff that I think a lot of people probably get worried about, especially in the United States with um, insurance as well as a weird thing here. I mean, you just mm-hmm. have to deal with, which is a little bit, uh, a little nerve-wracking for a lot of us. Well, thank you guys so much for having or for being on the show. It was uh, it was really great. Uh, I mean, first of all, meeting you, JB, and uh, seeing you again after uh, ripping my Notion template to shreds. Uh, I appreciate all of you who stayed around to listening to the end. We will see you in the next one. If you'd like to continue listening to this conversation, you'll need to subscribe at com slash membership or on your favorite podcast app once you do you'll get full length access to these episodes of the rise productive podcast as well as access to our subscriber only podcast and newsletter the weekly pour over